That was good. <laughs> or as my pastor of my home church would say, we're delighted with what the choir has shared with us tonight. <laughs> he was a corpse 20 years before he died. <laughs> I want to give you a statement right up top, and you're going to have to chew on this one for a while. There's a statement by Calvin Miller in your notes, but I want to give you a statement to preface that quote. We're going to talk tonight about spiritual intimacy and knowing the Holy One. As believers, the goal of our life is not happiness. The goal of our life is holiness. Now, here's the quote. Deep is not a place we visit in our search for God. It's what happens to us when we find Him. Deep is not a place we visit in our search for God. It is what happens to us when we find Him. Calvin Miller says, most of us dress our Christian faith in an ill-fitting discipleship that like a cheap suit leaves us uncomfortable most of our lives. Among our friends at church, we struggle to keep our reputation for godliness bannered forth. We would like to appear to be like Jesus without the discipline of really being like Him. We talk ourselves into a spiritual reputation we have never really earned. We continue to live on the surface, only talking of the deeper life. Deep is not a place we visit in our search for God. It is what happens to us when we find Him. Paul writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and let's begin in verse 7, talks about the depths of God. And these verses are oftentimes used, this passage in, used in reference to eternity, but it is a here and now passage. It talks about where we are and, and what we're supposed to be and how God works. And, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 7, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age have understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard, which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. God has given us spiritual ears to hear the inaudible, and He has given us spiritual eyes of faith to see the invisible, and He has given us spiritual faith to believe the impossible. God has done this because of His love for us and His desire that we go deeper with Him into a new dimension. Now, I want you to look at verse 10. Even the depths of God. That word depths is a Greek word, bathos, B-A-T-H-O-S. 
The word means to go into the weightiness of God, to explore the profundity of God, that we go into God's essence and His attributes and His plan and His person. In fact, the word bathos is the, word, the root word for the word bathosphere, which is what is a deep-sea diving bell where they go and explore the depths of the ocean. If you were to talk, talk to an oceanographer and ask them, what do you use? Well, we use a bathosphere. We use something that can stand the pressure but can go deep and see things that you cannot see on the surface, nor could you see in a diving suit, nor could you see in a submarine. It can go deeper than the normal submarine because it is prepared to get to the very bottom of the ocean. And God wants us to go deep with Him. And to go deep with Him requires discipline. Twenty-nine times in this letter, Paul talks about the mystery of God. Now, here's an important distinction. We do not go deep to study about God and to know about God. We go deep to know God. Not to know about Him but to know Him in an intimate way. Now, lost people have a lot of knowledge. Some of their knowledge is inspired by the devil. Some of their knowledge is just natural knowledge. And there are some brilliant people who are lost. But their minds are darkened, the Scripture says, and blinded by the evil one. They can never have the knowledge and the wisdom that Paul is talking about and that God is talking about because that kind of fleshly knowledge inflates our egos and pumps up our pride. It it makes us think we're somebody. But Paul is saying that God has revealed a wisdom, that God has revealed a knowledge that is greater than anything you can get in higher education. Have you ever thought about the oxymoron of higher education? Higher education. I'm, I'm into higher education so I can learn that I came from a monkey. That seems like lower education. I'm into higher education so I can learn to violate and be taught. By the way, our school systems in America are required by law to teach that the homosexual lifestyle is an optional and acceptable lifestyle. They have to teach that. They don't think be sued. They can't do some of the things that, that we think ought to be taught to our kids. And yet that's higher education. But if the higher education doesn't lead you to a higher awareness of who God is, is it really higher education? Just a thought. I just thought I'd throw it in there. I don't know if it must have gone over your heads because you didn't respond. Well, I tell you what, I've wasted a lot of great points, you know, in my life. The rulers of this age. Now, he talks about the rulers of this age that didn't get it. You see, the most educated crowd in the world were the Pharisees. And they were educated and being educated and knowledgeable even about what God had said. They knew about God. They still crucified Jesus, although knowing what the Scripture said about Messiah. Uh, The most enlightened nation in the world was the nation of Rome. And yet they persecuted the church. And so man's wisdom and man's education does not enlighten us and educate us into the things of God. Abraham Maslow, who conceptualized the pyramid of priorities, 
said this, only a few people adjust their lives to live at the peak. Now, I love this quote. He said, the whole world is comprised... Are you ready? Are you listening? Don't miss this. This is good now. This is... I mean, when I get to... When I'm smart enough to figure out who, who Maslow is, I'm, I'm, I'm on another level. Uh, listen to what he says. The whole world is comprised of non-peakers talking to non-peakers about peak performance. Sounds like the place where you work. Non-peakers talking to non-peakers about peak performance. And unfortunately, that is exactly where most churches are. They're in the waiting pool, and God wants us in deep water. The writer of, the, of Hebrews said, you know, you're supposed to be eating meat, and you're supposed to be teaching others, but you're still being bottle-fed. Now listen, I'm not trying to make anybody mad, but we got some folks that if they didn't get a quarterly, they'd cuss a blue streak. Because God knows after 50 years, I don't know how to read the Bible for myself. I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm talking about people that have to have a crutch because they can't go to the Word of God and dig deep with God. And so they say, give me a book written by a housewife somewhere and let me have that so I can read what the housewife said and find out that first, and then I'll let somebody tell me what the Bible says. Folks, that's shallow water. You ought to be able to do without any Sunday school quarterly and dig and get on your knees, and I promise you, you get on your knees before God and you'll learn what God wants you to learn out of that book. I'm not saying you shouldn't use commentary. i got an office full of them. I'm just saying you begin with the Bible, not with a commentary. If you want to go deep with God. Now, that was my Sunday school lesson for today, so I'll just move on past that. 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, that can also be translated explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. You see, spiritual people understand spiritual things. Combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, putting this all together through God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God and His Scripture, all agree and their spiritual thoughts and spiritual words put together, and they take us away from that shallowness. Shallowness. I'm convinced that one of the problems with the church today is we're about 20 miles wide and two inches deep. I've got friends who pastor churches that have six, seven, eight thousand people on Sunday mornings. But they've had to cancel Sunday nights because they can't get 250 to come back on Sunday nights. Folks, listen, God's not interested in crowds. He got crowds by throwing bread at them. God's interested in a congregation. God's interested in a church. And a church is made up of people who don't want to just wait around in shallow water, still getting the same Sunday school lessons and the same Bible studies and the same things they got when they first got started in the faith, but they're ready to move on and go deeper. I'm not saying we ever ignore. You, you never get too good for John 3.16. You understand? you understand what I'm saying? 
I mean, it's going to, I'm going to have to preach a lot longer if y'all don't get this on the first time. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with John 3.16. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with preaching the prodigal son. We ought to do that because there are people at all levels of development in the church. But I'm saying that if we've been saved for five to ten years and we are not teaching others, something is wrong with us. Say, well, I don't have the gift of teaching. You got children? You got grandchildren? What are you teaching them that God's taught you out of the Word of God? You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to have the gift. But I'm saying that what God has invested in you, He's invested in you so that you can build on it, not sit on it. He's invested it in us so that we can grow and grow others, not so we can just have it and absorb it and hold on to it and hang on to it and just sweet little things. God's Word revolutionizes our lives. It takes us into the depths of God. And we look at passages and we read them, and it's, it's just like Ron Dunn used to say. You know, you, you, sometimes you're reading a passage of Scripture and you've read it a hundred times, and all of a sudden it looks like somebody added something. You know, you went to bed the night before and you didn't understand it. You read it a week later and you go, wow, that makes sense. It's like God went in and wrote in the margins of your Bible. You know, trying to, trying to help you to, to see, and, and the light went on. Well, guess what? You were ready to learn it. God revealed it to you when you were ready to learn it. And the only time we ever want to talk about deep things is about prophecy. But there's a whole lot more of depth in Scripture than just the subject of prophecy. The holiness of God is a deep subject. The sovereignty of God is a deep subject. The grace of God is a deep subject. It's not just something shallow that we do. It, it depth, is, depth is something that we get into and we say, Lord, I can't get enough. I want more. I want to know more. I want to learn more. I want to sit and I want to learn and I want to listen because I want to be able to leave and I want to share it with somebody. I want you to put it in my life so it can work itself into my life so I can take it out of my life and give it to somebody else. You know what preaching is? Preaching is the overflow. That's what it's supposed to be. Preaching is not something you get off an internet. It's not something you get off of a web page. It's got simple sermons for simple preachers. Preaching ought to be out of the overflow of what God's been teaching you during the week. And sometimes it's hard for me to even express because I sit in there and I can't, I can't put it down with my hands as quick as what I see God showing me. And, and sometimes I just sit at my computer and go, Lord, that is so good. That is so good. I just want to pick up the phone and call somebody while I'm in the middle of it because I'm just, God's just showing me something. God's teaching me something. And God's revealing things out of His Word that I didn't see three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Because God's growing me, and God wants to keep growing me. I've told you about Layman Strauss's Bible, and if you ever saw him, you saw his Bible. And on the front of it, he had, he had imprinted in it, God's Word for Layman Strauss. I thought that was great. You know, God's Word for Layman Strauss. So every time he picked up his Bible, it said to him, and I asked him about it, it said to him, God has something he wants to say to me, but I've got to open it to get it. Now, 
the knowledge, the fear of God, the depths of God, the fear of God. Second uh, Chronicles 19.7 says, Now then let us fear the Lord, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Twenty-six times you find the phrase in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of not wisdom. Psalms 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. What the writer does is he ties together the fear of the Lord, the reverence of God, and the beginning of wisdom. What he says is it's foundational and it's fundamental. If you're going to fear the Lord, that's going to be the beginning of wisdom. If you want to get wise in the things of God, you have to have a fear and a reverence for God. And wisdom means more than adding information to your database. Wisdom is related to discipline, and it means direction and guidance. So let me just give you a quick application of what wisdom means. The fear of the Lord leads to wisdom... And that is fundamental to your values and your worldview. The fear of the Lord leads to wisdom. And that is fundamental to your values and your worldview. In other words, your value system or your worldview is determined by your relationship with God and how deep you are with Him. And things become less and less negotiable and there are fewer and fewer options and things become a lot more defined when there's the fear of the Lord and wisdom. Now, every one of us in this room, our value system is either starting with God or it's starting with ourselves. Every decision you make, every thought you have, every choice that you take either begins because you begin with yourself or you begin with God. Anytime you see the Lord, it talks about the fear of the Lord. And if you'll notice, especially uh, New American Standard, most translations do this, the Lord is capitalized. That's always Jehovah. It is the sacred name of God. It's the name that the Jews wouldn't repeat. The fear of the Lord. The, the Lord, the name Jehovah, Yahweh, the name that they were even scared to say for fear that there would be something in their life and God would strike them dead. They had such reverence for God. Oh, we've come a long way, hadn't we? We come to church dressed like we're going to a cookout. They were afraid to even say the name of God. You see, there was a reverence about the Old Testament saints. They understood something about God. And God became flesh and dwelt among us. But I want to tell you something, folks. God becoming flesh and dwelling among us doesn't mean that He's our buddy. He is our brother. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are sons of the Father, but He's still holy God. And we can't approach Him flippantly. And so let me give you a thought. As Ron Dunn would have to say, I have to tell you when the thought's coming or you won't get it. <sighs> that which is held lightly is easily dropped. And if we hold the fear of the Lord lightly, we'll easily drop it. 
If we hold the Word of God lightly, we'll easily drop it. If we hold the things of God lightly, we'll easily drop them. Peter said in his epistle that Jesus was the Holy One of God. Psalms 2.11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Now, I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm not talking about that. You know me better than that. But I am saying that as believers, if we want to go deep with God, we have to honor God and we have to honor the things of God and what we do and how we live and how we act and how we respond. Those things matter. When we're in God's house, and I know this is not God's house. I'm not going to get in that. This is just where we meet to worship. But I want to tell you something. When two or three are gathered, He is there in the midst of us, and we ought to act like it. We ought not to act like it's a party and a circus. We need to teach our children to act like when two or three are gathered, God is in the midst of them. Would you act like an idiot if God was in the midst of you? No. Then why are you doing it now? Because when God is with two or three are gathered, God in us and God with us and around us when two or three are gathered, why would we do foolish things and make fools out of ourselves when God's in the house? See, I want to make sure that whatever I do, I don't treat lightly the things of God or the place where He allows us to assemble in His name or the things that He gives us. Because you see, when I, when I walk into this place, that's not my prayer rail. That's a prayer rail where people can go and meet with God. That's not my seat. It's got reserved on it just so I can have a place. That's not my seat right there. That's a seat that God allows me to sit in. So not my doors that I walk through. Those are the doors that allow me to enter into the presence of God with God's people and to worship Him and to honor Him and to praise Him. And so I never take lightly where I am or what He might want to do. And I never want to do that which in some way would be offensive to God, even if it was innocent, in such a way that God would say, I'm not going to be there tonight. I'm not going to be there today. Because you really don't rejoice with trembling, and you're not serving me with fear. Thirdly, the knowledge of the Holy One, Jeremiah 9.23 it says, Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not a mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. Oh, gosh, I love that verse. You see, the real purpose of life is not being well known. The real purpose of life is knowing God. Most of the people we honor today are not known for knowing God. We honor athletes. We pay people $90 million to play basketball, and we don't pay our missionaries enough to survive. 
we think nothing about, oh, if we could get him on our team, we could win a championship. Let's throw $45 million that way. And we think nothing of what the needs of the one who are serving God might be. We honor celebrities, the rich and the famous, the well-bred, the Kennedys, the educated, the athletes. But I found a great definition. Somebody has said, a celebrity is a person who is famous for being well-known. I, I was in, when I was in Washington this week, we, we went around the table and introduced ourselves in, in both meetings. And um, so I, I was the second one around the table. And it was really interesting. You know, I'm, I'm a student of people. I love to study people. So I'm watching every one of you right now. I'm, I'm just a student of people. Don't get paranoid, okay? Uh, but some of these guys sitting in this room, they don't have business cards. They have legal pads for all their titles. Uh, they just, it just went on and on. I'm the president of so-and-so and so-and-so and the founder of so-and-so and so-and-so, and I have a nationwide television ministry with a 24-hour prayer. And all this, I mean, they're just going on and on and on. And, you know, I'm sitting at the table, and I'm going, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I can't believe I'm even, I'm not worthy. And the, one guy introduced himself, I'm the president of so-and-so, Incorporated, and I went, "Wow, Condoleezza Rice is going to go home, and she's going to say, I met somebody who's the president of Incorporated. This woman has like three PhDs and speaks five languages. I just want to say, hey guys, why don't we just shut up? The authority is in the room. We're just simple servants of Jesus. All right, that's all we are. And I mean, there was just this ugh, this air." And one of, one of my friends at the White House said, can I tell you something? <laughs> he said, the longer your title, the less you're important. He said, I am the official liaison of the Office of the President for Religious Affairs. He's the president. You know, you got to take a breath to give your title if you're in one of the... He said, he said I, know, I know where I am in the pecking order. He's the president. <laughs> That's all you got to say. You see, we're so caught up in, oh, who could we get to know and who's well-known and who's famous. And, and I want to tell you something, folks. It'll take all of eternity to show who the big shots were in God's eyes. And some of them we are never going to have heard of. It takes eternity for God to tell us who His Hall of Fame and who His celebrities were. Because not everything that shows up in this world as gold is gold in God's eyes. And so God is holy. The verb means to cut or to separate or to set apart. It, really, the word holy means that He is wholly other. 
I am the Lord your God, Leviticus says. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. I guess that means we shouldn't eat gnats. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, let's just kind of walk through this real quickly, okay? Creation, holy. God set a day aside, and He said, this day is holy. He set a tree aside in the garden, and He said, it is holy. Don't touch it. He set a land aside. We still call it the holy land. He said, the tithe is holy to the Lord. You read through the Bible, and God always sets something apart for Himself, and He says, you can have, and you can prosper, and and you can be blessed, and you can be fruitful and multiply, but I say that there are some things that are set apart to be holy. The holy of holies set apart. Only the high priest could go in. God always reserves something for Himself to remind us that He is holy and everything He does is holy. Have you noticed in your Bible that Jesus didn't come to be a celebrity? He came to show us what holy God can look like inside of man. He didn't come with a parade. He came in a manger. He didn't come to sit on a throne. He rode a donkey. He didn't come to be exalted the first time. He'll be exalted, but not the first time. He came to be crucified. But in those 33 years, He came to show us, this is what I had in mind for you when I created you. Before Adam and Eve ate you out of house and home, this is what you should have looked like. This is what you should have been like. This is all that I had for you. Everything, the fullness of God, the fellowship with God. This is what it could be, and I've come to restore it so that one day it will be like that. Holy before God. And we need to remember His grace is holy, His mercy is holy, His justice is holy, His anger is holy, His righteousness is holy, and His love is holy. Now quickly go to Psalm 99. Psalm 99, and I want us to just walk through Psalm 99 very quickly. And if you'll take your pen and just write a couple of key words, Psalm 99 is a proclamation of God's holiness. Psalm 99 and verse 1, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. By verse 1, I have written majesty. God is majestic. Now, what what this tells me, the Lord reigns, that means that God was in charge in the exile as much as He was in the exodus. God was just as much in charge at Calvary as He was at the resurrection. God was in charge when Paul was in prison, and God was in charge when Paul was preaching. The Lord reigns. Why? Because everything 
He is. He is enthroned above everything. Let the earth shake the majesty of God. Verse 2, the word exaltation. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Verse 3, let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he, the awesomeness of God. That which is filled with awe. We've lost the meaning of the word awe. We say, oh, that was an awesome song. That was an awesome book. That was an awesome movie. That was an awesome meal. That was an awesome this. That was an awesome... Listen, awesomeness should mean something bigger than normal. Awesome is a word that describes God. It is something other. Chesterton said, the world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. Verse 4, he is just and righteous. The strength of the king loves justice. You have established equity. You execute justice and righteousness in Jacob. You know, Lady Justice is blind in America. She has a blindfold on. But God is not blind in His justice. God carries out His justice and He does it well. Verse 5, exalt the Lord our God and worship at His footstool. Holy is He, the word reverence. Verses 6 through 8 tells us that God is approachable. He is approachable. Verse 9 tells us, exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for holy is the Lord our God. God is holy. So what does that all have to do with getting into the depths of God. Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so is he. That being the case, I'm surprised when I was in seventh grade, I didn't turn into a girl. That's all I thought about. Like we talked about this morning, the battle is in the mind. And so if I want to get in the depths of God and I want to have the fear of God and I want to have the knowledge of God, it all begins with an intimate relationship with a God who is holy and we cannot ascend to the hill of the Lord with dirty hands. It's with clean hands and a clean heart that we ascend to the hill of the Lord. And so if I want to get into the depths of God, then I must be holy as He is holy. And that all begins in the mind. Someone has said that the mind weighs three pounds, but it controls the body. It consumes 25% of the blood's oxygen, handles 10,000 thoughts a day, regulates 100,000 heartbeats a day, controls 600 muscles, and coordinates 23,000 breaths. And at the same time, is carrying on a battle with the enemy of our soul. The battle's in the mind. If I want to be intimate with God, then I've got to think like He thinks. And 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. How about you? Anybody had a day this week when every thought you had was captive to the obedience? I mean every thought. I mean when the woman wouldn't move at the stoplight. I mean when the person in the line in the bank in front of you took forever. I'm talking about when your kids got on your last nerve. I'm talking about when your husband didn't do what he said he was going to do. Did 
is anybody here taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? And yet that's the goal we're supposed to pursue. One quick illustration. In 1610, the French mathematician determined that there was only one thing he could not doubt, and that was a good day's work. And he came up with a famous conclusion. He said, I think, therefore, I am. That simple statement has become a philosophy. The philosophy is basically man rather than God is the fixed point around which everything else revolves, and that human reasoning is the foundation for all knowledge, and doubt is now of value. The mathematician said, I think, therefore I am. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, The mathematician's philosophy says that man is central. Scriptural thinking says God is central. What's your philosophy? I think, therefore I am, or you've renewed your mind according to the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name that you would help us to think thoughts that are worthy of you.